Welcome to The Hidden Gate, a short stories podcast. I'm your host and narrator, William Cook. Each of the stories I will narrate for you will contain something unique or unexpected, a captivating setting, an engaging tone, a twist, or possibly all three. We like to refer to this aspect of our stories in terms of the feeling they evoke, namely the not-quite-right feeling. The story I'll be reading for you today is titled The Miracle Year. Its author is Eugene Chernet, a co-creator of The Hidden Gate and the main contributor of the short stories you will hear on this podcast. Today's subject matter is one for which I have a natural affinity, and so I am especially excited to share it with you today. Eugene, what do you have for our listeners before we begin today? Well, hello, Will, and welcome back to our listeners. Um, I don't want to say too much and spoil any part of the story for you, but one thing I will say is that you're in for a bit of an unusual opening scene. We find out early on that the main character in the story has not been sleeping well, and I'm willing to bet that it's not for the reason any of you might not be getting enough sleep. The underlying theme of the miracle year is the feeling some of us might experience in our lives of wanting something so badly that we develop tunnel vision and forget everything else. I think we can consider ourselves lucky if we happen to encounter even one of those all-consuming goals in our lifetimes. But I think you'll definitely be able to find some parallels to your life in the story, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you, Eugene, for the introduction. And you, listener, if you are ready, follow us through the hidden gate. The Miracle Year by Eugene Chernet Everything seemed more urgent at 3 a.m., more real, more intense. Was it the hour, or was it the genuine shock of it all? She couldn't tell with any certainty. This was her third night, spent mostly awake, overtaken by thoughts that were presently coursing through her awareness faster than she could process them. Even with her head planted firmly on her pillow, she felt an excitement rise from deep within and crash onto her body with intense chills. Her eyelids felt heavier now than they had the night before, and yet they stayed defiantly open, compelling her to run through the math over and over in her head. Is there something missing? A random error? A mistake? she kept asking herself. The beauty and simplicity of it was almost too perfect, setting off her deeply ingrained scientific skepticism. But in her gut, there was no longer any real doubt that she pulled it off. She shivered as she ran through the words in her head and became nearly out of breath as she got up the courage to say them. Finally, she closed her eyes and forced herself to whisper what was already fully crystallized in her mind. I invented a time machine. Unable to contain her excitement for another minute, she unplugged her phone from the charger on the nightstand and dialed Palmer's number. A series of loud thuds followed the first ring which she attributed to Palmer's phone falling upon being picked up. Mmm, mm, hello? Finally answered a hoarse, sleepy voice on the other end of the line. As she began moving her lips, she found herself unable to say what she called him to say through her shivering, 
which had become even more pronounced when she heard his voice. She quickly unscrewed the cap off a plastic water bottle on her nightstand and took a sip. The voice on the other end of the line instantly switched to a fully alert kind. Jody, are you okay? What's wrong? She gulped down the water and began speaking as slowly as she could, still feeling the shivers of extreme excitement pulsing through her body. Everything's okay. Please don't worry. You sound upset. Has he called you again? Pressed Palmer, his mind naturally jumping to her ex-husband. No, no, nothing like that. Please, just listen. She sat up, took another sip of water, and steadied her voice as much as she could, wiping cold sweat off her forehead. It's about Project Everett. I haven't been very forthcoming about it with you, but we... I made a major breakthrough this week. Teddy's group has been involved in bits and pieces of it, but Teddy and I have intentionally kept the big picture under wraps. Jesus, you had me really worried something happened. Joe, I am scheduled to present to our donors early tomorrow, then lectures all day. I should really get some rest. Any chance we can talk about this later? I can call you early afternoon during my break. Can I just send you something real quick? He exhaled loudly. Yeah, what is it? Hang on. She picked up a pile of papers off her nightstand, then set them aside, walked up to the three large equation-filled whiteboard panels attached to her wall, and snapped pictures of each one with her phone. Let me know when you get my text, she requested. I got it. Give me a minute. A bit hard to focus at this hour. He took longer than he should have taken to review what she sent, and she immediately knew why. Since elementary school, her and Palmer had been in a silent competition, though most of the competing was a product of his ego rather than hers. It was understandable, really. They shared nearly identical backgrounds, complete with unremarkable family histories, similar interests, and exceptional scholastic achievements, propelling them through the system at many times the pace of their peers. But theoretical physics was still largely a man's game, and she was all but certain that he felt a slight sting each time one of her papers was picked for publication over any of his. Still, he was a dear friend who she knew she could always confide in and count on to be in her corner. It's elegant, Joe. The math looks solid here. Maybe I'm not awake enough to comprehend all of it, but I'm just not grasping what it is you need my opinion on. She was feeling less overwhelmed now and spoke in a calmer, more measured tone of voice. Palmer, it's what we dreamt about as kids all those years ago, remember? It's the wish our younger versions vowed we'd hold on to, no matter how old and boring we'd let ourselves become. Palmer let out a subtle, whispered laugh. Are you saying what I think you're saying? I am. But it can't... It... Just give me a minute to look it over again, okay? He took substantially less than a minute before speaking his next words. Joe, this is very impressive. It really is, but this just can't work. It can't. Most of it is based on fringe theories that have hardly been reviewed, much less tested. 
we'll get to test them soon enough. What do you mean? I mean that I've had most of the math worked out for months, all but the last piece of the puzzle, and now I have that too. Teddy's group has helped assemble most of the hardware without really knowing what it was they were putting together. And with this, they can finally finish it. Joe, are you really saying that they... He interrupted himself with another seemingly involuntary whispered laugh. Yes, we are months, maybe weeks, away from building a functioning time machine. I admire your optimism, Joe, but we're getting into some real murky territory here. What do you think are the chances of something like this actually working? I mean, just think about what it is you are proposing here. Some things are just destined to stay on paper, Joe, and this will make for one impressive paper, to be sure. This is exciting stuff, I agree, but it's not likely to actually send you back in time. Always the doubter, huh? I can appreciate that. I always have, but this is different, Palmer. This is the culmination of everything I've ever worked for. All there on those three whiteboard shots I sent you. You're 26, Joe. You have your whole career in front of you. I am as old as he was during his miracle year. The year he published the most groundbreaking papers of his time. The year of E equals MC squared. Ah, yes, Albert Einstein, the man against whom you've measured all of your life's achievements. Well, you've certainly picked a hell of a yardstick, Joe. She lowered her voice to a near whisper, worried that what she was about to say could come off as too preposterous, even to her. Palmer, I have to meet him. I must meet him in person. She flipped the light switch sitting on her nightstand on and off, briefly illuminating a row of nine portraits of Einstein displayed above her three-panel whiteboard. Each portrait was from a distinct period of his life. From his childhood, studying at a Catholic elementary school in Munich, to his youth working at the patent office in Switzerland, to his later years publishing works at the Institute of Advanced Study in Princeton, but it's his miracle year that she was thinking about the most now. If she could only be a fly on that wall at the Olympia Academy discussion group with whom he would meet and talk physics in Bern in the years leading up to the year. If she could only breathe the same air with him right before he produced the most groundbreaking work in all of modern science. And now, after years of fantasizing, she was on the brink of having her lifelong fantasy realized. The possibility alone filled her with a dizzying high, a high of which no amount of sober reasoning from Palmer, or anyone else, was going to rob her. Joe, these are not the overambitious childhood blueprints that I would dissuade you from turning into reality. This is putting your body inside what amounts to a particle collider, with all due credit to your math, the chances of its predictions materializing are very slim. As a scientist, you must know that. The far more likely scenario is that this thing will explode and disintegrate with you in it. You can't possibly be serious about putting yourself at such a dire risk. She responded in a calm, determined tone. 
everything I worked for, everything I ever wanted to achieve, has culminated into this moment. I can't back away now. Please try to understand, Palmer. Regardless of how all this ends, this is my destiny. Please trust me to make this choice for myself. I'm sorry to have upset you, but I had to share this with you because you're one of very few people in this world that always understood me. Please try to understand me now. This morning, there was little time to waste. She had to see Teddy, or Dr. Theodore Drumlin, as everyone else at the university knew him. Having been her mentor through her postgraduate work and her confidant for as long as she could remember, he had to see it firsthand. More importantly, he had agreed two years earlier to both fund and supervise Project Everett for Jody's benefit. This was a gift that one could hardly put a price on. Jody knew she owed him a debt that she would never be able to repay. She left her apartment early to catch Teddy before his first lecture and still have time to see her father on the way to the university. After Jody's mother passed away, her dad had continued to stay at their family home, only 10 miles from Jody's apartment. Despite the short distance, her visits had become less frequent as her work increasingly took up more and more of her days. Still, her childhood home was a place she visited any chance she got. These visits were not only opportunities to see her dad, but also occasions during which she could experience a sense of normalcy, even if for a short while. Sometimes she thought her father held on to the house just to bring the much-needed sense of warmth into her life. Whether that was really his motivation, it certainly had just that effect. Her father greeted her at the door with his usual elated expression, one that still made her feel like it did when she was a little girl being held for hours on end in his strong, comforting arms. So happy to see you, honey, he said, hugging her as she stepped inside. I have something to tell you, Dad, she declared urgently, even before clearing the entrance. It's so wonderful to see you, he reiterated, eyeing her up and down, seemingly oblivious to her announcement. You look tired, honey. Are you getting enough rest? I don't want you to spin out again. Dad, please, she implored. I don't have a lot of time. I need to share something with you. Go on, please, tell me, he said inquisitively, pointing to a scruffy beige couch in his living room. The noisy, worn-out springs inside the couch began to flex loudly as she planted herself on its far end, leaving room for her dad. Dad, do you remember what I would talk to you and Mom about constantly when I began to take interest in physics? She asked as her dad sat on the opposite end. He took an instinctive glance at the small tattooed E equals MC squared on her wrist and nodded his head. Yes, I remember, Jody. I think even back then, you idolized Einstein as much as a little girl your age could idolize anyone. And it only escalated from there. How old were you when Mom and I grounded you for weeks for getting that tattooed on your wrist? Sixteen, was it? He smiled. I think so, but I'm talking about my childhood, Dad. Remember that wish I would make over and over again every time you and Mom would ask me what I wanted for my birthday? Of course I remember, Jody. 
You kept telling us you wanted to meet Albert Einstein in person before you could pronounce Albert or Einstein. I don't remember how you said his name exactly, but it was a name your mom and I would ask you to repeat again and again, just to hear the passion you would put into saying it. You couldn't have been much more than five years old when you first said it. Yes, well, I think I might have that opportunity now. Her father's facial expression began to show signs of uneasiness, an apparent worry that his daughter had let her stress get the best of her. What do you mean, honey? He probed. Dad, for the past two years, Teddy's team at the university has been building a device capable of altering the trajectory of space-time. Please speak English, Jody. I don't... We're building a time machine. You're building what? She looked directly in his eyes to gauge his reaction and the extent of his concern about what he just heard. I know how this sounds, Dad, but time travel is well within the realm of genuine possibilities, and it doesn't contradict the laws of physics in the least. Quite the opposite. It's predicted by our understanding of the universe. We just needed a way to generate a strong enough gravitational field to bend space-time, and now we have a way of doing just that. Her father's expression continued to reflect a sense of deep concern. Jody, are you really telling me that you're getting ready to travel back in time? Yes, I am. Look, honey, I know you have your proofs and formulas. I never understood them, but I know you put a lot of stock in them and for a good reason. But I don't want this to become an obsession because I don't want you to be disappointed. Whether you are in it to meet Albert Einstein or for some other reason. He lowered his head, then looked in the direction of the portrait displayed prominently in his living room of a much younger Jody embracing her mom's shoulders. He cherished this photo above all others in his possession. There are no past versions of us living elsewhere, waiting to be saved, he continued. This is not reality, Jody. It's a fantasy. She lowered her head and closed her eyes before responding. I can't bring back mom. I would give anything to do that, but the past is the past. We can't alter it without catastrophic consequences. All I can do is be a perfect observer. One that must not interfere with any of the observed events. Have they run any experiments? Has this been tried with any living creature? He wondered, clearly worried about his daughter's safety. This isn't something we can test on animals, Dad. The device has to be actively controlled during the entirety of the temporal shift. It'd be like letting a chimp pilot an airplane, only worse because there's no way to remotely control this device from our arbitrary point in the space-time continuum. So, you're saying that you'll be the first one to test it? Jody looked back up, catching her dad's eyes, but remained quiet, knowing full well that he already knew the answer. This is why you came today, isn't it? Because you're not sure you'll survive the trip? Jody's expression did not change. She knew her father could read it without any more words spoken by her. 
And there's nothing I can say to dissuade you, is there? Just as there was nothing Michael could say when you chose to follow your path, despite everything you meant to each other. You know I always liked him, but he never really understood you, did he? She lowered her head. But I do. I understand, he continued, his eyes beginning to tear up. You're just like her in so many ways. I can't... I can't lose you, too. She got up from the couch and hugged him as tight as she could. You won't lose me, Dad. I promise. I'll come back to you. The university campus felt empty, deserted. The sound of her heels clicking on the marble floor was reverberating through the sciences building as she walked along its regal hallway. This was a familiar path to the part of the building that had become her second home. The machine that had been her life for the past two years was situated down in the basement, taking up nearly all of its available space. In fact, the first ten weeks of its assembly effort had been spent almost entirely on removing old pipes and equipment from the basement to make room for what was to come. The structure's long vacuum chambers resembled the tentacles of an oversized mechanical squid. The squid's head, its magnetic core, was an imposing ten-foot ring wrapped with enough copper to cover the perimeter of not just the building where it was situated, but the entire university campus. Getting all the materials and equipment transported and lowered into the basement had been one of the more challenging aspects of the project. The effort had been plagued by countless mishaps and do-overs, but these were to be expected for a project of such an enormous scale. Jody was greeted at the door by one of the regulars from Teddy's group, a young undergraduate who was mostly involved in modulating the software designed to respond to nearly 800 sensors installed between the vacuum chambers and their housing. This was a key feature of the overall design. A proper operation of the apparatus required this distributed network of sensors to act in perfect harmony with one another. His unequaled, seemingly innate technical acumen was invaluable in making that happen. He easily spent more time in this building than the rest of his teammates combined. Though his job called for his frequent presence on the premises, Jody had long suspected that his personal interest in the project had a lot to do with the incredibly long hours he had been putting in. His shoulder-length blonde hair looked as disheveled this morning as it always had, and his smile was as inquisitive and piercing as ever, in sharp juxtaposition to the polite one she would get from the others on Teddy's team. Good morning, he said in the mischievous tone that Jody was accustomed to treating as completely benign. Hey, Jake, she responded as she tilted her head to check whether the light over Teddy's desk was turned on. He's not here yet. He told me you'd be by this morning and that he'll be here by nine. She checked her watch to see whether she had enough time to occupy herself with something productive ahead of Teddy's arrival. She still needed to enter each of the parameters she derived from her equations and make sure they were within the threshold of the system. Jake interrupted her train of thought. So, will the history books look different when you get back? He asked jokingly. History books? She repeated, trying her best not to reveal her shock at his apparent knowledge of what Project Everett was about. I mean, it is a 
time machine, isn't it? Jody giggled uncomfortably. Oh, what? That's okay. I know you can't tell me, but it's pretty clear to me what this thing is. He continued with his usual coy smile. We already have a bet going among the regulars here. Pretty much everyone thinks I'm nuts, but that's okay. Time will prove them wrong. No pun intended, of course. But just hypothetically, how would a theoretical time traveler deal with the grandfather paradox? Jody smiled, sensing that he was engaged in wishful thinking that only happened to have hit the jackpot. And I suppose by that you mean what would happen if you were to travel back in time and accidentally kill one of your ancestors? Right. Well, it would create a bit of an anomaly, wouldn't it? If you were never born, then who was it that traveled back in time and killed your grandfather? But you wouldn't need all this violence to run into causal loops that time travel would create. You'd create just as much of an unsolvable puzzle if you were to travel back in time and declare, I think, therefore I am, to Descartes. That is, if you end up becoming his inspiration for the meditations, then where did you get that quote from in the first place? The answer is quite simple. Anomalies cannot exist in our universe. Any anomaly must correct itself in short order for our universe to continue to function. What would that correction be? Who knows? A black hole? A complete disintegration of the fabric of reality? Your grandfather accidentally killing you before you managed to accidentally kill him? Your guess is as good as mine. But one thing I do know for a fact is that X60 region sensors haven't been giving us reliable data in over a week. I would focus my creative energies on those if I were you. She smiled again. Time travel. You, my friend, are one eccentric character. Oh, believe me, X60 is all I've been dealing with since last Friday, responded Jake energetically as he lowered one of the two screens mounted to his standing desk. Take a look at this. He pointed to his monitor. These are last week's readings, totally clear of any noise. And this is from Thursday, right before X60 went berserk. Are you seeing this? He slid his index finger along the graph displayed in the middle of his screen. Jody pulled herself closer to the monitor and followed the graph carefully with her eyes. It's a pattern. Seems like it oscillates at regular intervals. Yes. It does. I mean, have you ever seen anything like this? It doesn't look at all like any of the faults I've had to troubleshoot before. It's like something is purposefully controlling it. I just don't understand that. I installed the X60 panel myself. In fact, I think it was actually one of the last ones I put in. I know this thing like the back of my hand. So, what are you saying? She probed. Are you suggesting that someone has been messing with our sensor data? Honestly, I don't know what to think. Have you mentioned this to Drumlin? She wondered, referring to Teddy using the name by which everyone else on his team knew him. He lifted his hands in a gesture of renunciation. This is your baby, so it's your call. I don't have anything concrete to report here. If you think this is something, then be my guest. Teddy walked in the door after a brief, polite knock. He seemed gloomy, which was the opposite of what Jody had been expecting after the text she sent him this morning with the three whiteboard photos she had taken earlier. Okay, let me know when you have more info. 
she requested of Jake as she parted from his standing desk and followed Teddy into his office. So, she prompted Teddy without acknowledging his less than enthusiastic mood. I looked through your math, Jody, he responded, his wrinkled eyes expressing obvious concern. And? She prompted him again, anxious to hear more. It's perfect, I think you already knew that, but... But what? It's math, Jody. What does that mean? It means that you might be mistaking the map for the territory. She looked perplexed. Are you saying it won't work? I don't know, but I think there's a good chance that it won't. And I don't think we should be taking those kinds of chances. We've had serious incidents before. The core has only been stable for the past three months, if that. And even after we stabilized it, we've been dealing with more sensor failures than I can count. He sat down at his desk. Jody remained standing next to the two chairs on the opposite side of it. Teddy, this is everything I've been working toward for as long as you've known me. This is it. I guess I just don't understand why the sudden change of heart. This is how it was always going to come to us. As math. What else can we really trust? This is as good as it was ever going to get. Look, Jody, in order for us to get to the requisite velocity predicted here, he took out his phone and pointed to one of the equations she had texted to him earlier then continued. We would have to increase the energy output to a level we would not be able to control from the lab. Yes, I know that. I would be the one controlling it, not you. She was still struggling to fully grasp Teddy's concern. I just don't think you'll be able to do it, he finally clarified. Why not? Is this a gut feeling or do you have substantial concerns? This was nothing short of her life's legacy being torn apart, right in front of her. She was not about to concede any of Teddy's points without a much more convincing explanation. This can turn into a huge disaster, Jody he continued. One none of us will ever forgive ourselves for. You know as well as I do that there's a very real chance of that happening. Yes, I know, she acknowledged, just like there was a chance that the Trinity nuclear test would cause a chain reaction igniting the atmosphere. And so they were wrong to go forward with that test, retorted Teddy. Just as we would be wrong to go forward with ours, the Trinity test was only an acceptable risk in retrospect. Not one that was justified when the decision was made to move forward. So are you going to block the launch from going forward? Is that where this is going? She asked, already terrified by what Teddy might say. No, that's not where this is going. She felt an immediate sense of comfort having heard those words. Thank you she said calmly. I've always taken your guidance to heart, Teddy, you know that. But this is something I can't walk away from. I have to do this. I just have to. Well, we'll just have to do it safely then, he offered, evidently moved by Jody's resolve. Thank you. Thank you, she repeated with a look of profound relief. The morning of the launch packed all the anticipation and barely any of the stress she had been expecting to feel in the weeks leading up to it. 
Each of the 12 sub-threshold tests that Teddy's team had run through had been within acceptable ranges, except one where the pattern Jake noted weeks ago briefly came up on the monitors. As before, she decided not to mention any of it to Teddy. She knew he would not be able to make any more sense of it than she had, and so bringing it up felt senseless. The inside of the sciences building felt extra warm this morning. This was not an accident. Achieving the requisite energy output for the launch required high temperatures, and any upward adjustment, even by a degree or two, helped. Getting the morning lectures cancelled was predictably easy, given Teddy's standing and his pull within the faculty. They had the sciences building all to themselves until 11am. This would provide them with more than enough time to go through the necessary steps. At Jody's request, Palmer had been waiting for her arrival by the building entrance. Hi, Joe, he said quietly with an uncertain expression on his face. She hugged him in lieu of a greeting, feeling a sense of closeness with him that she last felt when they were little kids. Palmer. She addressed him in a tone that was saturated with emotion. She reached into her jacket pocket and produced a jewelry box. She opened it to reveal a gold, heart-shaped locket she had held onto since she was a child. Do you remember this? She asked him, opening the locket to reveal a black-and-white photo of the two of them as little kids. He took the locket from her outstretched hand as the tears welled up in his eyes. Of course I remember. Your dad took this photo with his big fancy camera at your sixth birthday party. He asked all of us to only get you Einstein-themed gifts that year. But I got you this locket instead. I wanted you to have something special. Something made just for you. He turned over the locket to reveal an etched inscription that read, To my Jody. I want you to keep an eye on it while you wait for me to return, she requested, folding his fingers gently over the locket. He nodded, squeezing it tightly in his hand. Promise that you won't make me come look for you, he said with a smile that only slightly masked the shakiness in his voice. I promise, she answered, hugging him once more before walking off. The launch team was limited to the skeleton crew, the three scientists from Teddy's team he deemed indispensable. Teddy looked more preoccupied than usual. He kept adjusting his thick, black-framed glasses nervously while closely tracking each of the monitors on his desk. He seemed to barely acknowledge his surroundings and only greeted Jody with a nod. Have a seat, he requested of Jody as she stepped into his office. He rotated one of his monitors to review with her the sequence of coordinates she had long ago committed to memory. She followed along closely with her eyes glued to the screen, mostly to humor him as he slowly read each series of numbers out loud. Remember what we said, Jody, a perfect observer, nothing more, he reminded her sternly. A perfect observer, she echoed reassuringly. She took the steps down to the basement level of the building after changing into a custom-tailored, turn-of-the-20th-century evening dress she had prepared earlier. She was surprised at how calm and focused she felt as she cleared the threshold of the core's round arch.
Teddy's voice came through loudly from a row of a dozen ceiling-mounted speakers. Log initiated at 0930, he announced. A bright projected display appeared over the vacuum chambers with Teddy's initial log entry. 0930, log initiated. The image flickered for a split second as the next series of entries appeared on the display. 0931, boot up sequence initiated. 0932, generators online, faults, zero. The vacuum chambers emitted a brief, hollow sound of a gust of wind escaping from a pressurized container. 0934, vacuum sensors online, faults, zero. The two large flat displays directly above the core came to life displaying sequences of digits that flashed too quickly to be read without freezing the frame, something the team had done on plenty of occasions as part of their effort to stabilize the energy output around the core. 0936. Core magnetized. 0937. Core sensors online. Faults, zero. 0941. Particle velocity, 80%. Faults, zero. Temp, okay. The high temperature inside the vacuum chambers was now spreading out into the surroundings. Jody felt the sensation of sweat forming over her forehead. She used the back of her hand to wipe it off. 0942. Particle velocity, 90%. Faults, zero. Temp, okay. How are you feeling, Jody? asked Teddy over the loudspeaker with a tone of concern in his voice. We can still postpone if you feel we should. Please proceed, she responded firmly. 0944. Particle velocity, 95%. Faults, zero. Temp, okay. 0948. Particle velocity, 99%. Faults, zero. Temp, okay. The sweat was now coming down Jody's forehead in tiny streams. She wiped it again, readying herself to enter the final set of coordinates on her own. This is it, Jody. Are you ready to take over? Yes, please proceed. Good luck, he finally said as the display flickered for the last time, disappearing from view. Dr. Drumlin! Dr. Drumlin! called out a panicked voice from outside of Teddy's office. Teddy immediately recognized it as Jake's. What's the matter? Is something wrong? asked Teddy in a tone of deep apprehension. X60! Take a look at X60! Teddy quickly tapped his keyboard, punching in the coordinates into the region details window. Looks like an oscillating pattern, he quickly surmised. I don't understand. Jake burst into Teddy's office, throwing the door open behind him. These sensors aren't connected to our remote units. They only pick up raw data from the tubes. There shouldn't be a pattern. It's an anomaly. The weightlessness lasted for what seemed like a split second. A pre-surgery countdown at the conclusion of which a patient finds herself in a recovery room. Having completely lost time except her recovery room was a cobblestone, 
lined street. This was a scene she recognized from countless archive photos she had reviewed in preparation for the launch. The GPS coordinates she entered appeared exactly right, and the clopping of the horse hooves, besides feeling surreal, were a strong indication that the temporal coordinates could not have been too far off the mark either. Having spotted the place on the northeast corner of the street, she immediately continued inside. The dark, cozily lit cafe smelled of fresh pastry and cigar smoke. The old wooden floor creaked under her feet as she approached the host stand. Guten Tag, announced a suited young man behind it as she entered. Sprichst du English? she asked in response. Yes, answered the host with a thick German accent. How can I help? I am meeting someone here. She responded, adjusting her ill-fitting dress. Do you like to look for him? Offered the host. She nodded her head and entered, quickly surveying the cafe for faces that were more familiar to her than those belonging to people she had actually met. She felt a near, paralyzing sensation of her heart beating out of her chest. When she spotted the face she immediately recognized as belonging to Conrad Habicht, one of the three regulars of the Olympia Academy discussion group. Barely able to control her limbs, she leaned forward to get a better view of the table at which she was seated. And then she spotted him. Seeing young Einstein seated only a few yards from her overwhelmed her senses to a point of nearly fainting. To keep herself from succumbing to her shock, she took a few deep breaths and held on to a table directly in front of her. The table shifted under the weight of her body, its legs scraping loudly against the hardwood floor of the cafe. Though the three others seated at Einstein's table remained seemingly oblivious to the sound, Einstein immediately turned his head in her direction. His eyes briefly lingered on hers, then promptly jumped to the hand she used to catch herself from falling as the table shifted. His gaze lingered long enough for her to follow his eyes to her own wrist. Her mouth opened almost involuntarily as she caught a glimpse of the E equals MC squared tattooed on it. Anomalies can't exist in our universe, blurted out Jake frantically as he approached Teddy's desk. She told me they cannot exist and must correct themselves when they happen. The image on the computer screen flickered, disappearing from view. So we're back with Eugene and Eugene, I love time travel. Uh, I really like it. I really enjoy it in multiple forms of media. But I wanted to ask you, why did you choose time travel as opposed to other science fiction tropes? One of the things that really always uh, stood out for me as far as time travel is concerned is the paradox of it. Paradoxes generally don't exist in other areas um, of sci-fi. And that is the reason why I picked this particular subgenre of sci-fi. With time travel, anything is on the table. And it introduces interesting possibilities and uh, unrestricted storylines 
it's just interesting to play with that and to um, explore all of these different uh, storylines. Well, I loved it. I thought you did it real well, especially for a short story. Uh, in my opinion, time travel is really hard to flesh out in a short story, and I think you did it real well. Thank you. So moving on, did Jake and Teddy have any doubts about the project working? Yes, Teddy has many doubts about it working. He uh, expresses those doubts to Jody. He uh, expresses them pretty early on. He discusses with her the possibility that even though her math and the theory are solid, that doesn't necessarily mean that time travel will actually work the way they want it to work. So he has doubts. He has a lot of reservations about the whole thing. And um, Jake, he can't necessarily have those same kinds of doubts only because he's not really told what this machine is. He uh, essentially guesses correctly about the nature of of the project, but he's never officially told what this uh, project is about. And um, his doubts are pretty much alleviated as to whether or not he's on the right track. But at the same time, he's very concerned now about uh, Jody's safety as well. All right. Yeah. You had touched on quite a few of those doubts explicitly throughout the story. Thanks for kind of fleshing some of those out. Do you have any final thoughts on your story and has your perspective about it shifted after you heard my narration? So your reading actually made me feel a lot more sure that the ending of the story was appropriate. I had concerns initially about the ending actually sounding too negative. I did have a problem occur at the end, but we don't really find out the nature of the problem. We just know that there is an anomaly. And I didn't want it to hang over the story as this dark cloud that eclipses everything else. We can't uh, lose perspective of Jody and what she actually wanted to accomplish and her all-consuming goal that she actually did get to achieve. She did travel back in time and she uh, met the very person that she actually wanted to meet. And this is something that your reading made me feel a lot better about. Yeah, so we got to see her story play out exactly as she wanted it to, instead of just being left with the confusion and uncertainty that Jake and Teddy were feeling at the end of the story from their perspective. That's exactly right. Well, awesome, man. For me, it was quite an enjoyable story to read. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to experience it and share it with our listeners. This concludes Episode 2 of the Hidden Gate Podcast. You can check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts by searching The Hidden Gate. You can also subscribe to our social media pages where we'll post updates on upcoming content. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and we've also got a website, thehiddengatepodcast.com. Com, where we've got all of our social media sites listed. We'd like to thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you our next story.